Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. When I talked to today's guest before we got started, he told me about some of the difficulties that he's had starting a business. And there was, what's the word that you used? It was ambition. Am I right, Sandy? If you had to, yeah. and if you had to sum up how you got here, it would be that word. Yeah. Ambition is, is the word. Santi Biblioni is the founder of Core. They are not a project management software company. They do more than that. We're going to get into the details of how they, they do, a, I guess, project management and more. Do you feel comfortable saying that? Yeah, we're the project profitability tool. So it's you, you know how to manage the project, but you want to make sure that you're managing the resources, the people, their time. Is that right? Yeah. And you came up with this because you experienced the problem yourself, right? That's right. What what was the agency that you were that you were running where you saw the problem? So when I was 21 years old, I started Balloon Group. Mm -hmm. It was an agency which was named Argentina's fastest e-commerce, fastest growing e-commerce agency at that time. We, we bootstrapped. I, I remember I remember when I was reading your story, uh, I felt very familiarized. Uh, and we bootstrapped that company from zero to four hundred. 400 clients in mm -hmm. 12 different countries. You told me before we got started, you read about how I had no money to start my first company. I realized that J. Crew had a lifetime guarantee at the time. I called them up and said, can I return my clothes? They said, yeah. I said, it's been a few years. I wore it during college on the subway to school. They said, it doesn't matter. Send it in. We'll give you a refund. I sent it in. Sure enough, they gave me a refund. It was amazingly fast. And that's what I used to start my business. What is it that you experienced that was like that? I tried really hard. I mean... When we were starting, you said, is Sandy, is ambition the word? And I said, yes, is ambition. And why? Because when we first moved here to the Valley, I was 26, 27 years old. My visa, my green card was, uh, I was working on my visa. Uh, so I didn't have a green card at that time. I didn't have an internet. I, I didn't have any network, any connection. I had some money to, to pay my rent and, and, and some stuff, but to go to the grocery, I need to use my savings from my previous company. Uh, I didn't have a salary. That, and that, that pushed me to, and also not good English at that time. It's not great now, even, even worse at that time, four years ago. So when I, when I first moved here, people were saying, hey, Santi, why are you moving there? To, the, to Silicon Valley, where today you're a 26-year-old person in Argentina with your own company doing pretty well. Why are you like leaving this? Why are you going for something bigger? And it was the ambition and the fact that we knew that we were going to make it. We knew that you were going to make it with what? You had a digital agency. That's what the Balloon Group was in Argentina, selling to Argentine yeah. businesses. Yeah, 12 different countries, but mostly okay. U.S. and Argentina. Yeah. Okay, and so things were going great there. And you said, no, I need to level up. And leveling up for you means what? More agency clients? Or by then, did you say, I see the problem. There's no software that addresses it. I'm going to be the guy who creates it. Yeah, so at that time, we were using tools such as Asana, Trello, Basecamp, Jira, Monday.com. At that moment, Monday.com was named The Pools. And we were trying different project management tools and they are great don't get me wrong but we couldn't solve the problem we were having our problem was projects profitability when you're selling 
services and you are at the top level of the company, you need to your 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 money is not your salary. It's your is the is the earnings, uh, the dividends that you pay for you and for the shareholders. So if you cannot, if if you don't know your clients and your project's profitability on real time, you cannot negotiate better fees and you cannot be sure how much money you're going to make. Right. Negotiate better fees as, as an agency owner, you want to negotiate better fees from your, from your team. Yeah. Better. So because they were contractors. As, as, as an, yeah. As an agency, as mm-hmm. an agency, you will need to negotiate better fees with your clients. Uh, right. If you're starting to see that this project is taking more time, you want to know how much more time, how much more are you going to pay? So you come back to your clients and say, you've gone beyond scope. It's actually going to cost more than we expected. And you want to know what your expenses are so that you have a sense of what you should be asking for. That's what you're saying. That was the problem that nobody addressed. Totally. hundred percent. Okay. And so time management software wasn't enough for that because a lot of project management, not a lot. There was, um, this project management software like Teamwork PM that did that? So the company that better understands where people are working at in real time and with no manual efforts is, is the company that will lead the market. And when people need to log hours manually, then the consequence is a, is a huge problem because no one wants to log hours manually and if you end up logging hours a couple of days after, your 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 margin error is going to be high. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, understanding costs and time uh, with no manual efforts, that's what make that's what gives you the sense of profitability in real time. So you can stop the project, you can outsource to freelancers or make make it cheaper in terms of costs or otherwise negotiate a better fee to make a, a higher revenue and and then pay more. You cannot, the problem is that you cannot increase your costs if you don't increase your prices, right? I don't know, uh, Andrew, if you have a lot of friends working on this, in, in this space, but ask them if they are happy with their salaries. And it's not because their managers are keeping the money, like the shareholders yeah. are keeping the money. It's because the problem I was mentioning to you. You're saying, ask my friends who have digital agencies, are they happy with the bottom line, what they're taking? And you're saying they are gonna say no. And it's probably because, not that they're lacking clients, but they're lacking in, management of their expenses and connecting that back. Got it. Okay. All right. And so you said, this is the thing I'm going to do. Did you hire developers before you got to the U S or did you first get to the U S and say, I'm going to figure it out here. We started the company, just the three of us co-founders. And one of, one of my co-founders was a, is is an engineer. Mm -hmm. So he was the first uh, engineer. So you started building it before you got to the U.S., right? Yeah, we started before. Okay. We moved within the process. Okay. We got into 500 startups here and we launched the product. Yeah. 500 startups before you got to the U.S.? No. 
here. After. So you come in here, you say, we're going to figure it out. If we're in San Francisco, this is the place where businesses are built in the new world. We're going to figure it out. If anyone can get into one of these accelerators, we can. You come in a little bit of software, you go to 500 startups. 500 startups is accepting, from what I understand, of companies that are super early stage. Mm -hmm. Did you have a fully working product at the time? Yeah, we had, did. We had a product and we had like $3,000 in revenue or something like that, like almost nothing. From a handful of customers. And so what did the product do the first, the, when you got into 500 startups? Our MVP was project management with product, with project profitability. Uh, like, the like project management is so, um, there's so many different ways to do it. What did your software do? Our software understands where people are working at. It logs hours automatically and it detects profitability in real time on a per client basis, on a mm -hmm. per project basis. And this was even back when you applied to 500 startups, when the thing was just getting started, at least did that. At that time, <laughs> you know, it was the MVP was kind of that, but uh -huh. it was awful. Uh, no one wanted to use it. Um, okay. But the vision was clear. The problem was clear. The market was huge. And, and we had some customers that were saying, hey, guys, you are addressing the problem. I don't like to use this product because it's awful. But if you improve it, we can use it. Okay, uh, and they were paying probably like five dollars per user per month. Today they pay sixteen dollars per user per month, up to thirty dollars per user per month. Okay, so enough of an indication that there was a need for this. You just weren't doing what it needed. You get into five hundred startups. You told our producer they asked you this one important question that helped change the direction of the business. Do you remember what it was, or do you want me to remind you? <laughs> remind me. The question was, they said, hey, Santi, do enterprise clients like your software and have a use for it? And you said, yes. And they said, then why don't you go after them? And until then, you were just selling to small and medium-sized businesses. Once you realized that, you said, okay, we're going to go after them. And my hunch is it's because they have bigger budgets, right? And they have the credibility to start bringing in smaller businesses too. Is yeah. that right? So it was it was key for us. Uh, our sales mentor within 500 startups, uh, who is named um, Nish, Nish came came to us and he said he asked the same thing you have just mentioned. Hey, Santi, are your are enterprise professional services uh, firms like agencies, consulting firms, software development shops, and more are do they also have the same problem? I said like, yes. And how are you guys selling? He asked. And at that time we were selling to SMBs with no contracts on a monthly basis and on a $5 with a free trial and $5 per user per month. After the conversation we had with him, and after the three, four months of the acceleration program, we ended up selling to enterprise customers, like Fortune 100 companies, uh, Fortune 100 companies with three-year contracts, annual upfront payments, which helped us finance mm. ourselves. And 
without free trials. Everyone that will ask for like to see the product would go through a demo. And after the demo, we started negotiations and, and we were closing deals. Negotiations? Every time you're selling to an enterprise customer, it depends on how many licenses they have, how many licenses, how like what's their 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 billing cycle and more. There are different things that could could change the price, but normally they have a standard price for sure, a regular price. Okay. And I see that's the big transition, but that changes your whole way of operating, right? Because now you need yeah. salespeople to do these demos. These demos are demos, but they're also sales uh, sales calls. That means that it's not as much about the site. It's not a. It's not the same type of people you're going after. How did you rebuild the company that way, or how did you build the company that way when it wasn't geared towards that? So we were just like five people, six at the time. So it wasn't hard. And, you know, Andrew, when you come from Argentina uh, to Silicon Valley with, with no network up here, it, it also pushes you to, to create a process-driven company. Because it's not that you will call your uncle, you will call your friend or your cousin and say, hey, John, hey, Mary. Would you like to like become a customer of us? Uh, would you like to invest in the company? No, for us, everything started like a process because we knew no one here. So it was good. Normally, normally SaaS or normal companies start putting the processes together after they reach, I don't know, like $1 million in ARR or once they reach Series A or whatever. Right. Or once the CEO comes in, who's a professional CEO to take over from the founder. Yeah. For you, how did it start? Yeah, we started, we started with processes from day zero. What was your process for selling? What did you create when you were 500 startups in reaction to what they suggested? So what we did is we knew very well our addressable market. So we knew that we were selling to professional services firms we decided to start with creative agencies. And then within the creative agencies, we decided to tackle our ICP was a CFO from a over 50 employees agency. So we scrapped all these emails and, and our we started hiring. So we first hired an SDR who did outbound cold calling and cold email to the CFOs. And he, yeah, you gave him a list of the CFOs and then, and they went and started calling them, emailing them and saying, can we show you this thing that we've created the software that's going to help you manage your team better? That's what you, that's how it started. Yeah. We, we asked them how uh -huh. they were solving three points, like three uh -huh. things related to profitability and how, how big was this problem for them? And we got great, like great reply rates and so our sdr at that time just one he started asking uh, he started the discovery call uh, understanding if there was budget authority need on time and therefore scheduling a demo if he was a if he or she was a sales qualified lead we scheduled the demo with a company executive 
an account executive at that time was me. Uh -huh. uh, and so I did the demos and tried to close deals, right? Then we started hiring account executives, then more SDRs, more account executives, and then VP of sales. Senti, I, I wonder how the SDR was able to get anyone to respond to them. I get email, right? You create a process yeah. for email, you manage the open rates, you improve them, you manage the response rates, you improve them. But cold calls, you're actually able to get a CFO to take your, the stranger's call? No, it was, it was mostly through emails. And then following emails, up with people to schedule and to book a call with you. That's the process. Yeah, so yeah. exactly. And we also went through LinkedIn and through our through different channels. We also did some like we delivered packages to offices. As we were getting more like into the enterprise segment, uh -huh. we started to personalize uh, every message more and more and also every channel more and more. That's how we when we got into their offices with some cakes, with everything. <laughs> yeah. And then how much was the sale worth to you that you were willing to put in all that time? What's a client 100, worth? 100K is a, is a big client for us ah, today. Okay, all right. Um, but of course we have, we have a lot of SMBs. So I would say today, 20% of our revenue comes from SMBs, but they are 80% of our, the amount of customers we have. Mm -hmm. And and then we have mid market. So a normal annual contract value for us is nineteen thousand dollars, but it goes up. There are some customers that are paying a hundred or over a hundred a year. A year. Got it. All right, let me take a moment to talk about my sponsor and then we'll come back in with the story and see what happened. My sponsor is Overpass. It actually kind of fits in with what we're talking about now. Overpass is a site. It's a marketplace where any entrepreneur, any business can go and find salespeople right now. And the beauty of Overpass is you get to see how they've done before. Is this a salesperson who's reliable? Is this someone who could write good emails? Is this someone who's persuasive on the phone? You get to see it based on their past experience, and then you get to work with them remotely. And Overpass has software to help maintain that relationship and help you do uh, help you do good work together. That's what it's about. I've never seen a business do this before. It's available right now to anyone listening at overpass.com slash Mixergy. And when you use that URL, you're going to get a discount from them. And also you're just going to get to see how easy it is to find great salespeople to rep your business. And frankly, Santi, you do this. I went right now as we were talking, I said, wait, there's no way to just even try the free sample right now. Let me see if I could do it right now. Nope. I hit a button to start now, even on the free package. And basically what I'm doing is I think I'm scheduling a call to talk with your people. Oh no, wait, the free, oh yeah. With the free package, I'm scheduling a call, a demo with someone on your team, right? Yeah. That's the beauty of it. Real salespeople to both help you close sales and also understand customer issues. If you want to get started, you can get started with them right now. My sponsor is Overpass and you can get them at overpass.com slash Mixergy. Thank you, Overpass. All right. When you left, you told us what you came into 500 startups with. They're supposed to accelerate, give you structure, help you grow, help you raise money. How, how much revenue did you end up with? What was the recurring revenue after the four months with them? Do you remember? I think it was something near 20K per month. Wow. All right. So um, 7X almost, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah. And more than that, they gave you direction. The good thing, uh -huh. 
Uh, oh, I was I was saying that the good thing is that we started we started to receive customers paying annually up front, and that was key for us because instead of it was not the fact of moving from SMBs to enterprise, but also the fact of getting instead of monthly payments, annual payments. That changed our story. Because? Because we had a lot of money. Uh, now we had a lot of money to invest in marketing and sales and in product, in product mm -hmm. of course, so we can grow faster without raising capital. Uh, I mean, we today, yeah, we, we already raised three rounds. We did our CSA, uh, but at that time, yeah, I mean, uh, if we if we if we can have money from our customers, that's that's way better. Yeah. All right. You did. Did you raise money after five hundred startups? Yeah. Right. I mean, right after did they do a demo day? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you raised how much? We raised two million convertible notes, and then okay. we yeah, then some equity. When you get that, how do you feel? I'm trying to get a sense of who you are. Do you feel like, oh yeah, this is fantastic, or are you the type of person who goes, I, I wonder if we could have done more. We should do more. This is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always have both both of those of uh, those feelings. First of all. I am always like always grateful. So I say this is this is awesome. Uh, I'm glad that now we are partnering up. We are partnering up with these amazing uh, VCs and individuals like rock stars, entrepreneurs from the valley. And at the same time, I say to myself, we can do more. Uh, so that always pushes me to, to, to make it better on the product right. side, on, on, on the where does this ambition side. come from? I'm trying to get a sense of who you are. You're a guy who grew up in Buenos Aires. You right from an early age were starting to sell stuff where you, you weren't selling to support your family. Your family was doing pretty well, right? Yeah. This was you just needing to do what? Why did you have to sell milkshakes as a kid? No, no, I didn't need to. It, I was just... I don't think you I needed always, to financially, but Santi, from everything I know about you, it feels like you needed to do it. You needed to, for some reason, you had to go and be the guy who sells milkshake. Why? Yesterday, I was talking with uh, one of my closest friends. He was my best man for uh, marriage. And so I was telling him about the, the Series A, we were closing and... And I and I and I told him, do you know today what I care the most is achieving my dreams. You know, it's not about how much money we raised. It's not about um, who the investors are. It's more about that it's it is a dream come true. It's something that we planned. And we executed, and I am I am I am starting to understand that you can do whatever you want, and if you believe in you, you're unstoppable. You know, it means people will people would see 
guys like Jeff Bezos or whoever, Elon Musk, and they will say, oh, these people are genius, right? And this is because they see the picture 20 years after, right? Jeff Bezos was a people like, like you uh, selling greeting cards uh, at the early days, right? Uh, so you're saying you, once you start to see them, you realize I'm, I could be like them. It's just a matter of deciding, of setting your mind to doing it and then doing it. What's an example of something that you did because you set your mind to that you shouldn't have been able to do? Yeah, and just to clarify, it's not that I'm willing to be Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or whoever. It's just being the best person that of, of myself, right? Is is pushing me to my best version. And that's something I I, I enjoy, right? Uh, putting challenges ahead and and going and go through them. Things that I achieved starting uh, a business when I was 22, moving here to San Francisco uh, with almost nothing. Um, to you can you can take this to every part of the of of your life. I mean, I I I swim 45 minutes in Lake Tahoe when it's uh, snowing. Uh, so I think the, I think mindset is, is very important. Is there a time that you are able to draw on that mindset and say, because of this, I know I can do it. I know for me, it's, it's often got to do with sales where someone doesn't want to buy from me. And I remember one time getting on a train, going to Washington DC because they were in Virginia and then walking into their office and finding a way to close the sale. And it was the whole time me saying, I know I could do it. And I also remember once because of some like water main, something or other, the internet went down in Queens where we started our first company and there was no freaking internet. And people said, all right, just wait, you wait it out. It's going to come back. And I remember saying, I'm going to go there and tell them that they need to work faster. And that's just a stupid thing for me to have thought. But I think the fact that I believe that I can go and turn them into faster, I don't know what workers of the water, or whatever pipe. I think I was sending a signal to everyone else, even if I failed and I did fail, they weren't moving any faster because of me, that I'm just willing to, to go further than they imagine that if they're ever going to put a roadblock in my way, they know that I'm not going to just say it's okay and then move on, but I'm going to try to knock them over. And it was mm -hmm. that, that, that I, that sticks in my mind as those big wins. What's one of yours? I remember when I was about to start my like my pre-seed round back then in Argentina to come here to be able to move to move here and I remember two very respected uh, investors in Latin America they they told me Sandy you don't want to go to to Silicon Valley and compete with these big monsters right and Although like these people may may seem very important to to a lot of Argentinians and Latin American people, I knew that the market had a problem and that there was no solution within it. So I didn't care 
about uh, what they thought about me. It it's it has always been what I think about me, uh, and I think that's the the big difference. If people would believe more in themselves, the world would be way better. So people do not rely, do not believe in what they can achieve. Where did you get that understanding? Where was it that you picked up and started to believe that? Were you like a Tony Robbins person who used to get those CDs and listen to that? Was there a book? Was it your dad? I, I always had a personal interest uh-huh. for like self-development, always. Which since ones did very, you used to listen to? What's the most esoteric or the ones that you were most passionate about? I was into that stuff too. Great questions, huh? <laughs> it's not a typical podcast. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you some of mine. I remember I couldn't fall asleep. I went into the library on Union Turnpike in Queens and I looked for stuff that I could do while I was awake at night because I couldn't fall asleep. And I would get some music CDs or something from them. I would get books on tape, whatever nonsense they had. And it was great. And then I got Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. And I listened to that. And the fact that he would even say, think and grow rich was so anathema to where we grew up, where everyone would just clearly want to get rich. But what we were taught in school, what we said out loud was, we we don't care about money. We care about all these other stuff. And here was a guy who was willing to say the thing that you're not supposed to say. And so I listened to the tape and it was to the CD and it was just eye-opening. And then I walked around, I saw the other books and I found this one shelf that was at the back. I still remember where it was. You walk into that library, you take a right, you go all the way to the end and you see a section of a shelf full of self-help books. And I said, no one's promoting this. Kids my age would get all these credits for reading all these books, but these weren't on the credit books. These weren't on the kid bookshelf. Why? But if I read it, suddenly... Was world of people who just wanted to do stuff with their lives. And I'd read those books and feel like, all right, I'm not them. I don't want to be them, but I want to do something and it's okay to want stuff. And that fired me up. And then I thought it was my own little inner thing. And I remember I went to try to get a job with Paul Cerbera. Um, He had a, a Wall Street headhunter. He was a Wall Street headhunter. And so he asked the best freaking questions I ever saw anyone ask for a job interview. And one of them just happened to tap into these books. And I realized he understood the books. And if he got as far as he got, he was in his early 20s, ran his own agency right in the heart of Park Avenue. If he got that far reading those books, it's not a fantasy. It actually matters. It does something. And then he and I bonded on it. I got a job from him. And and then he started turning me on to others like that. And it was just, that's where the thing came for, for me. And that changed everything. Do you have any experience like that? For sure. When I was a kid, I more into the like spiritual stuff, and 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 then I I started reading a lot about. Uh, did you ever hear about Siddhartha? Yep, my brother uh, read him at a tough time in his life. It's like a I, I think yeah. it's a novel based on the Buddha. Buddha. I don't remember. I wasn't as as connected to yeah. it. Uh huh. Yeah, Siddhartha was probably my my favorite book at that time. When I was like 15 years mm-hmm. old, and I started to 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 read a lot about. Um, I mean, I became very introspective on, on on that on that in that end, and then I become I I I became uh, 
very passionate about like business books. Uh, you know, like started with why Simon Sinek, uh, Lean Startup, Predict Revenue, um, then never split the difference, sales acceleration formula, blitz scaling, let my people go surfing, delivering happiness, uh, how to influence people. You know, like a lot of business books that I I started to like I started devouring them. Um, play bigger. Um, I mean, such a ton of them uh, made to speak. So I always, I've been always surrounding myself from books and stories from people that uh, achieved great things. And also at the same time, when I when I said a couple of minutes ago that it's not about the money you raise or the money you make as revenue and the people and the investors you have, but let me. Like, don't take me wrong on the people you have as investors. I there, I think there's something really important on that side. That is, uh, I love to be, I love to have closer relationships with investors. Uh, so I, I like to have close uh, relationship with investors because most I admire probably all of them or most of them and and being in touch with them helps me to learn more about how did they make it right it's like having this podcast on your day-to-day and you're learning from founder double click you're learning from founder anaplan you're learning from founder aquafold mercado libre you're like all our current investors uh, are i mean Every time I'm having a hard time to to solve something, is hey, how do you make it? Uh, and 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 that's something I really enjoy. What's another example of a time when you got advice that changed everything for you? It seems like five hundred startups was influential that way. Was there another entrepreneur or another uh, investor who did that? Yeah, this was last year mm-hmm. during the pandemic. Uh, mm-hmm. I have a I have a, a very good friend of mine. Uh, I mean, a very close friend who is also Argentinian, also here in the Valley, and he's the founder and CEO of Pachama, a, a startup a, helping to solve climate change. And last year we started to talk about a lot about um, purpose and the purpose of the business, and it was very important for us as a business and for me as a co-founder and CEO to refresh what the purpose of our business was and why we're being in, why were we in, in, in business, right? And that changed us. It took us, it took us a, a couple of months working on our, on our message to the people to the to the world um, a manifesto but that really changed the whole company we started to believe more in what we were doing started to think long term more long i mean i always thought long term but now i'm thinking more long term than never before and i think that's great because 
everyone in your company and everyone outside your company wants to wants to know and wants to see that you're here for good i mean it's not that you're trying to sell your company uh, anytime what is soon. what is the big message the big good that you're here to do we are here to make 1 billion people in this world have a, have a better living how are we doing this there are 1 billion almost 1 billion people that today in this world that are working for professional services firms companies that have fixed price projects that that they have 90% of their costs based on their hours if they're not able to see profitability in real time they cannot renegotiate fees with the clients if they don't renegotiate fees with clients they cannot increase salaries so on on services firms talent is everything like what makes a creative agency different from another one the people they have inside like the creative people and and the accounts directors if if you cannot afford those creative directors or if you cannot afford those create like those great engineers on a software development shop or if you're a law firm and you cannot afford a, a great lawyer to be within your company these people will run and they are running How, like you're seeing more and more uh, people joining tech joining finance more not because it's their dream it's because it's a place where they can make a better living so in order to keep these industries alive we need to help companies give competitive salaries and a good living to people that work for them or in these companies so that's what we are doing today. All right. The company name is Core. The website is Project Core, C-O-R. How badly do you want Core.com? Let me see. Does anyone own Core.com? Uh, <laughs> they're not even using it. That's got to drive you nuts. All right. Project. Purchase it. Purchase I'm sorry. It right Purchase it. No, I can't. They're not using it, but they're using it to redirect to another great domain, te.com, which is also not necessary. But core, all right. <laughs> Why is it called core, C-O-R? Because it means herd in Latin. And we are the herd of these companies. We are the, the heart of these companies. The heart of the companies. Core is heart in Latin? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for doing this interview, Santi. Projectcore.com. And I want to thank, thank the sponsor who made this interview happen. Sorry, I didn't mean to speak over you. We've got a weird connection. We are here in San Francisco. Dude, when I lived in Argentina, I had better internet connection than I've got here in San Francisco. Don't you, didn't you find that? You live there now. I lived in Buenos Aires for a year when Mixergy was just really getting going. It's because I moved to Argentina and I just didn't even know if I could do it from there. I said, what's the internet going to be like? Are we going to have a lag? I started connecting from there. It was fan-freaking-tastic. I worked for Microcentro. Right there in like a professional office building. <laughs> yeah. Internet was fantastic. I would take a $1 taxi ride into work from um, from our apartment, which was overlooking the botanical garden, which was beautiful. Sometimes I'd yes. take a train. Mm -hmm. It was wonderful. I loved it.
Nice. Yeah. So, Andrew, thank you very much for having me today. Bet. Thanks, Santi. And thank you all for listening. And I want to thank my sponsor for making this interview happen. If you're looking to hire salespeople, do yourself a favor. Go to overpass.com slash Mixergy. All right. Bye, everyone.